go as I go on a weekly basis, I'll just say this to you, to the church, and all of y'all know I pastor a church, and and uh, I tell you the most discouraging thing I think I see on a weekly basis is when preachers have meetings and their folks don't come to church. I think that's one of the most discouraging things. I, many of you, and I know the Calvary folks, y'all come to our youth meetings and camp, and, and I tell our folks in revivals, I said, you know, I'm glad other folks come and take in our services and take in our meetings, but I said, I never have had a meeting for somebody else. We always have a meeting for our church, and I'm glad that other folks can get in on that. And I commend the Calvary Baptist Church. Many of you have been here every night. And I know that's an encouragement to your pastor. And a lot of nights I pull up in the parking lot and, uh, and the preacher's on the porch trying to look them in. And if you come to our place, I'll probably be standing on the porch trying to look ours in. Amen. And uh, they, they, we, uh, we still have it like y'all at 730. And they say, preacher, why don't we have church at 7? I say, because y'all don't get here until 715 if we have it at 7. And I said, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to waste my time, so we're going to have it at 730, amen? And I said, y'all show me you get here at 7, we'll change it to 7, amen? And, uh, but I, I, I want to say to you, Pastor, he's been my friend for many years and been a blessing to me and an encouragement to me. And I want to say to Calvary Baptist Church, you have supported the youth meeting for many years in January, and I'm grateful to you for it. And then now with camp, and, and uh, I mean, churches... Churches our size that don't have five, six, seven hundred people. Your, our youth groups have an ebb and flow to them. You'll have a you'll have an older group for a while, and then they'll be they'll graduate into college and be young couples, and then you'll have a group of little ones that come up through. And that's one of the, one of the reasons Brother Moore and I felt like we needed to start the junior camp so we would have the kids all the way from the time they were seven years old to the time they were eighteen years old. And uh, because we understand those ebbs and flows, you've got to have a church of about five or 600 people if you're going to have a consistent group of teenagers and juniors. And, uh, but I appreciate, and, I, and what we're going to do, Lord's will, we're just going to keep having camp until the juniors become teenagers again, amen? And uh, I told Brother Moore, I said, mean, you're going to be the only youth camp moderators on walkers. I said, it's going to be a real blessing, Amen. I told him, I said, before this thing's over, they're going to have to put a, a elevator on, a, put an elevator on this platform, praise God. And uh, I said, I'm running laps now. I said, I may be walking them, praise God, before we're done. Amen. And, uh, but I do appreciate the, I appreciate the support. Thank you for the Walnut Grove Church coming tonight and singing. What a blessing. And uh, we appreciate you being here tonight. Acts chapter number 28, I'll ask you to pray for me. Tomorrow night, I'll be headed to Asheville to preach it. And, and Brother, Brother Tracy and I, uh, talked about the meeting. I had messed up and did not have that. I did not have that meeting written down uh, like I should have. I do my best not to mess up, but there's occasions I do. And um, and brother Nick Stanford said, "Preacher, you you got us down, don't you?" And I said, uh, uh, "Well, let me call brother Puckett." Amen. <laughs> I said, "I'm supposed to have you down, brother Nick." I said, "But let me call." And brother brother Tracy was so gracious to to let me. Uh, let me correct my mistakes. Well, I'll be in Asheville tomorrow night and Saturday morning, then back at church Sunday, and then Sonoya next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Ohio Thursday, and then South Carolina the next week, and then camp and camp, and North Carolina and Kentucky and South Carolina and back to church. 
Uh, Y'all thought I was kidding when I told you I told my wife Monday night I'll see you in December. But that's the truth, amen. Uh, we've got about three days in August we're going to take off for our 29th, 28th wedding anniversary. And I really won't see her till Thanksgiving after that. But you pray, and you pray, I, I tell you, I'm not, I'm not 30 anymore. And, uh, and uh, this white hair really means something. The lady asked me the other day in church, she said, Preacher, how old are you? I said, ma'am, are we talking about years or miles? I said, I'm a, I said, in years, I'm a 50 model. I said, but in miles, I'm about a 65 model. And uh, so you pray the Lord to give me, give me, give me safety on the roads. And uh, man, you see some crazy things out there. Used to, I didn't worry about getting out. I didn't worry about getting out at, at uh, convenience stores tonight to get a cup of coffee. But I tell you, be honest with you, neighbor, it's, it's a dangerous world we live in. And uh, I am thankful that I'm 6'5", and I weigh in the neighborhood of 300 pounds. You say, how big's your neighborhood? It ain't any of your business, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all all right? Amen. I might be in phase two of the development of my neighborhood. Amen. Amen. Old Brother Hudson said, he said, that Bible ain't never said anything negative about being big. It said be fat and flourishing, praise God. And uh, I told him, I said, these skinny preachers, I said, you about think that God's starving them. Amen. And uh, I, I, I pastor a mountain church and all them women can cook. When we have church, when we have supper at, or, or, or lunch at church, they ain't no Ingalls boxes on the table. Uh, everything that comes in there has been cooked in Crisco and fat back. Can I get a witness? Amen. And, uh, and every one of them say, Preacher, I cooked this for you. So now you know why I don't weigh 235 anymore. Amen. Do you know it's all right to smile? I tell you what, there's going to be plenty of places to cry along the way. You better smile while you can. If I would say Mary Hart doeth good like a medicine. And uh, it's all right to have a good time in the house of the Lord. I thank the Lord for it. Acts 28, let's stand together. I want to back up to verse 37 in Acts chapter 27. Then I'll read a few verses in Acts 28 and share with you the thought that's on my heart. You pray for Brother Terrell Hopkins. I believe he's preaching tomorrow night. Brother Terrell Hopkins is one of the, one of the I believe, one of the hardest working men of God that I've ever met in all my days. Loves sinners. Man, he loves sinners. Loves the people of God. Loves men of and, and I appreciate Brother Terrell Hopkins and the Heritage Baptist Church. And I promise you'll be back tomorrow night. You'll be blessed to hear Brother Hopkins preach. He's God's man. The Bible said in verse number 37 of Acts chapter 27, we were in all the ship, 200, three score, and 16 souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was dry, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling in to a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. I heard Brother Hudson preach right there, Brother Tracy, on how not to lose your hinder parts. Amen. 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 There's a whole lot of folks losing their mind. I don't know about their hinder parts, but they're losing their mind. Can I get a witness? The Bible said that in the soldier's council, verse 42, was to kill the prisoners. 
lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they could swim, they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and to get to land. <clears throat> and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Verse 1, and when they were escaped, when they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul gathered a bunch of bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this is a man is a murderer whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. You can be seated. I'm interested tonight in verse number three. Now keep your Bible open and we're gonna look into our verses but I'll use verse number three as my text verse this evening. And uh, the Bible said, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, they came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. As you make your way into the book of Acts and you begin to study the first 10 uh, chapters of the word of God, the first 10 chapters deal primarily with the ministry of the apostle Peter and the brand new church that God had brought to pass in Jerusalem. Uh, but in Acts chapter number nine, we are in, introduced uh, all the way through the remainder of the book of Acts and uh, pr primarily all the way through the rest of the New Testament. Uh, a friend, we are introduced to one of the mightiest preachers, I believe, the greatest preacher uh, since the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, I believe that he wrote 14 books of the New Testament. He was the, uh, he was the pre preacher, the prophet to the Gentiles, the missionary to the Gentiles, uh, and the neighbor that number 14 in the Bible is uh, uh, the number of a mass deliverance, a large deliverance. Uh, and I believe God gave the message to the Apostle Paul to bring freedom and deliverance to the Gentiles. And Paul was a faithful witness to the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the day that Paul met the Son of God on the Damascus Road until the day that he sealed his testimony in his own blood in that Roman Colosseum, Paul was a mighty preacher of the gospel of the grace of God. When Paul started out on that a road to Damascus. He was the hunter in his mind, but what he found out was that he didn't get very far down the road until he realized he was not the hunter, but he was the hunted. He began down that Damascus road with a past that was trailing him, that corrupted him, friend. But before he got out of that road, before his trip was over, honey, he bumped into a power that changed his life forever. You've come a long way too late, friend, to tell me that somebody can trust Christ, get born again, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and it not make a change in their life. I mean, and from that point on, Paul's life was governed by the purpose and the will of God Almighty. Friend, as you think about Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul got saved, can I tell you, friend, that ought to encourage you and I that there is 
is no hopeless case. There is no, I mean, listen, I realize that the Bible does talk about that a man can cross that line and reject Christ and become a reprobate. Proverbs 1 and Romans chapter number 1. But I'll say to you and I, we don't know where that line is. We don't know when that person has done that. And can I say as long as they've got breath, I'm going to do my best to deliver the gospel and invite them to trust Christ as their Savior. Some of you are sitting here, you got children in the world. You raised them in the house of God. Now they've turned their backs on the house of God, the preaching of the word of God, Holy Ghost Church. And you think, man, have they gone too far? I'm telling you, if God and the power of the Holy Ghost can speak to Paul out of heaven and cause him to trust Christ, I mean, he was the great persecutor of the church. He had papers in his hand that he was going to persecute those early believers. But God spoke to him out of heaven and broke old Paul down. And he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that can go where you can't go and say what you can't say and change who you can't change. I'm telling you, don't give up. You may have grandchildren with with earrings through their ears and nose, tattoos up both sides of the arm. I'm telling you, God's bigger than their nose ring. He's bigger than their earring. He's bigger than their tattoos. He's bigger than their history. He's bigger than their corrupt past. I'm telling you, there's a God that convict them of their sin and they can trust Christ, get saved, and God changed their life forever. You say, I don't believe that. Well, it might be your problem you don't believe anything. Amen. Are you listening to me? You've come a long way too late to tell me that God can't change people's lives. I could take you to North Georgia tonight and there'll be a big old boy about 6'4 and weighs about 340 pounds. He's going to walk into the Lumpkin County Jail tonight and he'll preach into about two or three of those pods before he leaves. Another young man will walk in there with him that about 20 years ago or maybe about 15 years ago that was in that. Both those boys that are about to walk in that jail and preach tonight, both of those young men used to be in those same cells. Uh, they used to sleep on those same beds. Uh, but the Spirit of God came to where they were and saved them by the grace of God. And no longer are they going in there in shackles in a jumpsuit. Uh, but they're walking in there with a suit and a tie and a King James Bible under their hand. You say, what happened? The same God uh, that spoke to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road arrested their life and saved them by the grace of God and changed their life. My friend changed their life. Listen to me. You don't need to read any more further than the story of the Apostle Paul to tell you that God can change what you and I would see as a hopeless case. Are you listening? Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep witnessing. Keep praying. Uh, Keep saying, listen, uh, keep inviting them. Old boy walked into our oldest son, got married, and I was helping. I was trying to get some things done in their house today, and I needed a I needed a technician from Dish Network to come and help me hook some things up. Old boy walked in today, big old skull tattoos on his arm, blood running out of his skulls, and. 
He was just as kind and nice and respectful. And I saw where the tag was on his, on his car. I said, I see, that, I see that tag. Are you from White County? Are you from Cleveland? He said, no, that's where the office is. He said, I live up in Lumpkin County. I said, you do? I said, I pastor church in Lumpkin County. I said, son, we sure would love to have you come to church. We'd love to have you and your family come and visit with us. They say, preacher, you want the ones with the tattoos? You better believe I do. You want the one got earrings in their ears? You better believe uh, because I want to tell them uh, that there is the shed, there is a fountain filled with blood, uh, a draw from a mangled things, uh, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, uh, uh, still cleanses the saints. Uh, I'm glad Brother Roloff said that through the blood uh, goes deeper than the stain is gone. Uh, I'm telling you, thank God, friend, uh, God still can change lives uh, of depraved sinners. Amen. Amen. And boys that get saved in the jail, we try to invite them to church. You say, you really want to, where do you think they ought to go? And before you get off, before you jump up there on your high horse, there'd be a lot of us that were there if we'd have got caught for what we were doing. Amen. Amen. Are you listening? And there's not one of our families. There's not one of our families in here. If we, we got far enough on the branches of those, our, our family trees that we don't have people that we love and, and cousins and aunts and uncles whose life is in such disarray. We're living in an addicted America. They need a pill to get up and a pill to lay down. I mean, listen, it's touching all of our families. But God help us, Paul said, keep preaching, keep praying, keep inviting. God can change their life. Can I say, listen, as I walk into this text tonight, for some reason we've let this idea uh, slip into our churches that it will, uh, we would seem to believe that we'll just be faithful in our service to the Lord and we'll just come out and be separate from the world and be different than we were when we were lost. Uh, that that is some kind of shield against difficulty and trouble and tribulation in our life. Uh, but friend, that is just not so. You say, well, how do you know? Y'all ask, uh, you ought to ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all ask Job. Uh, Y'all ask Elijah and Elisha. You all ask the disciples. You all ask the Lord Jesus Christ, friend. Job said, man, born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, friend. And can I tell you, if we get that mindset in our mind and then difficulty comes and troubles come and sickness comes and listen, disappointments come, if we're not careful, we'll believe and begin to listen to the lies of the devil that God has held out on us. And listen, if we're not careful, we'll get the idea that we feel like we deserve better uh, and God should treat us better uh, and if this is all we get for serving God, uh, this is all we get for being faithful, uh, uh, this is all we get for giving our time, uh, going to choir practice, teaching a Sunday school class. Uh, if you're not careful, we'll begin to believe uh, uh, that God ought to treat us better than he is. Are you listening? Listen. You delve into this story that I'm reading in Acts chapter number 28. I want you to think about something. Nobody ever said it'd be easy to serve God. In this story, we find one of the most faithful servants of God that's walked on the pages of history and our precious Bible. He's been shipwrecked, he's been stranded, he's been shackled, he's been striped, and in Acts 28, he's snake bit. But he doesn't quit. 
He refuses to allow the discomforts and the disappointments and the destruction that comes to his life uh, hinder him uh, from surviving and serving God. You may be like Paul. You may feel like your life's been bruised. Your life's been battered. Your life's been capsized. You don't know up from down. You're as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. You don't know if you're coming or you're going. I mean, your heart's broken. Your spirit's bitter. Because, man, you think you should have gotten treated just a little bit better. You shouldn't have had that problem. I raised my children to serve God. And you're saying, Lord, you let them get away. I'm telling you, those things come in our heart. Those difficulties come in our life. And you may like be like Paul, or the viper may have come out of the fire, and you may have been bitten, but you don't have to quit. If the Lord will help me for a little while, I want to preach on I got bit, but I didn't quit. I'm telling you and I are here tonight because some child of God that made an impression in your life, they serve through difficulty, they serve through disappointment, they serve through tears, they serve through pain, they serve through criticism, but thank God, even though they got bit, they preached on, and they sang on, and they prayed on, and they played on, and they ran on. Thank God they got bit, but they didn't quit. Look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. Well, I was, listen, I was at a meeting back in the fall in West Georgia. And, uh, well, there was two, two young people that, as far as I know, one was a pastor's daughter and another, another a deacon's daughter in another church. I mean, man, they've been raised to serve God and tried to marry right. And I sat on one side of the church and that pastor's daughter sat two pews behind me with two children under three years old and her husband's a drunk now claimed to be a preacher when he married her he's a drunk had committed adultery with a, another lady and got another lady pregnant while he had his, his pastor's daughter expecting a child and you know what I was impressed with she was in church. Amen. You know what I was impressed with when they sang? She went to the altar. You know what I was impressed with when it got old? She put her hands up and stood up with that baby in her hands. Uh, that made, I don't know if you'll ever know his daddy or not. I have no idea how that'll turn out. But that little mother would stand up with tears dripping off her face uh, and raise her hand and bless the Lord uh, when everything around her was falling apart. Uh, you say, what was she doing? Uh, she was saying, I've got bit, uh, but I've not quit. Uh, listen, I may not understand what's going on. I'm not talking about a gray-haired saint of God uh, that had walked with them for 50 years. Uh, I'm talking about a 21, 22-year-old little mother uh, that, man, she thought she had done it the right way and sought God's will. Uh, but now it's all come apart, but she wasn't quitting. Amen. On the other side of the church, a young man I've known since, I guess, some of these, uh, t since he was probably 10, 11 years old. On this side, 
Brother Dawkins, he, I didn't even know anything was wrong, but I could tell he was burdening his spirit. He just wept his way to the altar all week long. And I asked a friend of ours, I said, Brother, I said, tell me. I said, something's wrong right there. I said, that's a good boy. He said, oh, Brother Mark. He said his wife decided she just didn't want to be married anymore. He said, just a few weeks ago, she went home. Oh, hey, Brother Tracy, these aren't kids I don't care about. These are kids I've watched grow up. These are kids I preach to in their youth meetings and their camp meetings and their revivals. But can I tell you what? Hey, listen, they weren't out on a bar stool somewhere trying to drown their sorrows and disappointments in a liquor bottle. Oh, but when they would sing, oh, God's been good, they'd lift their hands and testify. You say, preacher, do you believe they felt it? I don't believe they felt it. But I believe they were praising God by faith. That somewhere down the road, they were going to figure out there was a bomb in Gilead, and God was going to bring salve and healing to their soul. I'm telling you, they were saying, preacher, oh, we got bit, but we didn't quit. Back in January of, of 21, well, that goes back to July, I guess July of 21. I was on the phone with Brother Adam Borden. He, y'all know Brother Adam, plays the basic camp full-time evangelist, stepped out on faith. Just right after we had our youth meeting in 21, I was talking to him on the phone. They were headed up the road. They were needing a new vehicle to be on the road, and they were going to look at a new used SUV. And while I was on the phone with him, he said, Preacher, I'm going to have to call you back. Miss Angel's having a seizure. And in a minute, he called me and said, Preacher, I'm having to call 911. She was over there. And she had had breast cancer some years before. And without them knowing, that breast cancer had come back into her brain. In a week's time, in eight days' time, she was at the Gwinnett Medical, what was the Gwinnett Medical Center. I believe it was at Northside now. Northside there in the cooler, wherever that is. She was having brain surgery eight days later. In the July, 1st of August. Man, she come out of that and they started doing those treatments, made one of those masks that held her safe, held her still, and she did well, and all that sort of got gone. Then about Thanksgiving, some things started to show up again. And by the second week of January, she's back in the hospital, and her brain's covered with tumors. And neighbor, they don't have this class in Bible college. I sat out there in my vehicle with his with her 15-year-old, 14-year-old daughter at the time and her 18-year-old ladies that those girls had taken, that had taken to her. And I had to sit there with those two teenage girls where their mother was dying. Are you listening? And that next day we came back down and we fed the family, Miss Amy and I fed the family I had to take those little girls back to that hospital and watch them walk in that hospital to go tell their mother goodbye for the last time. Are you listening? I'm not talking about a 70-year-old saint of God. I'm not talking to you about a man that's been preaching 60 years. I'm talking about a 14-year-old teenage girl and an 18-year-old teenage girl that her mother's not going to be at their wedding. Are you listening? They won't be there to fix her hair and fix her dress 
Are you listening to me? And neighbor, her dad, their dad texted me and said, Preacher, they're on their way out. Miss Brittany and I walked, and Miss Amy walked to the sliding doors of that, what I'll just call it the Gwinnett Medical Center, and I could see them coming through the hall. And buddy, just as soon as those doors swing open, one ran to me and one ran to Miss Amy, Miss Brittany. You say, what'd you do, preacher? I couldn't say anything. You say, what'd you do? I just held them and we cried together. There wasn't anything I'd do. The Bible said to reap with them and weep and rejoice with them and rejoice. And all I could do was weep with them and to cry over a broken heart because in just about 30 minutes she was gone. She was in heaven. And I tell Brother Adam, he's still preaching. He's still traveling. Those girls are still singing. They don't have it all figured out. But I told them, I said, I just want you to know if nobody ever gets saved, it man, if nothing, we don't see the great fruit. I'm telling you, you're blessing me just by going and just by serving and just by singing and just by preaching. Every time they walk to a platform, all I can think in my mind is oh, they got bit, but they didn't quit. Oh, they could have quit and got bitter. Well, God, why didn't you heal my mama? Oh, why didn't you touch our family? Oh, why didn't you bring deliverance when we prayed? Oh, but thank God they didn't get that way. Have there been tears? Have there been misunderstanding? Sure they are. You and I would have that. Oh, but thank God they've not quit. I'm telling you, child of God, somebody's watching and somebody needs to see you oh, make it all the way home. You may have got bit, oh, but don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I want you to notice the shipwreck that brought them. Look at verse 41 through 44 in Acts 27. See, there was an unseen hand that transported them. They wasn't no GPS. There, matter of fact, they, weren't even, they were not even sailing by the charts. The Bible said they loosed the rudder bands and hoisted the mainsail. And in one place it said they committed their self under the sea. One place in there, Brother Willard liked it real good. He said, we let her drive. He said, we let her drive, friend. In other words, they took their hands off and wherever the winds of God took them, that's where they were gonna go. I'm telling you, praise God, friend. I'm glad there is an unseen hand. Hey, you may not understand. You may not know what God's doing, but you can trust in one thing. He's a big enough God to get you where he wants you to go. And if you'll just trust him, I'm telling you the storms. We, we were not too far long ago. We were just, Amy Sam and I were standing out on a pier looking back at a lighthouse and I thought man how many ships that lighthouse must have kept off the rocks and the storms of the life that we're in they blow these ships onto the rocks but I'm thinking God is a storm in the life of the child of God it does not blow us to the rocks it blows us on the rock praise God friend I'm glad there was an unseen hand that transported them but then there was an unexpected kindness that touched them. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, showed us no little kindness. 276 soaking wet, seaweed covered, stinking sailors who most of them were prisoners. Washed up on this beach. And these Melitan people 
showed them no little kindness. Let me ask you something, friend. If these Miletan people could be, could be gracious to strangers, how much more should the church be gracious to a sinner? Amen. Are you listening to me? I remember, I, I don't know if any of you know him, but a precious saint of God who used to travel and sing, got saved, got right with God. He went to Nashville, the same, rode up the elevator in Nashville, him and Willie Nelson together to audition their songs. Oh, Brother Lance Carpenter. But Lance Carpenter was one of the most refreshing Christians I've ever been around in my life. Wrote some hit country songs back in the day. But boy, God saved him. He could play a 12-string guitar like nobody's business. And he could, he could cause people to want to worship with him like nobody I've ever seen. Man, old Brother Lance, there was a preacher made, had made some mistakes and, and uh, had, had to step away from the pulpit. And, and man, he was just, he was secluded from everybody, just isolated from everybody. And old Brother Lance, with his background that he had come from, Brother Lance called him and said, hey, brother. He said, what you, what you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm just working a little project down here in this basement and, and trying to do a little project just sort of by myself. He said, well, hey, I've got a meeting just on the other side of your house. Why don't you go with me? He said, Brother Lance, he said, I'm just really not ready for that. He said, I'm just really not ready for that yet. He said, I'm just not ready to be around people. He said, that's all right. I'll be at your house in a few minutes. And Brother Lance pulled that big old conversion van up in that. He said, Brother Lance pulled that big conversion van up in that, in that driveway and went over the back of that big van, opened those back doors, pulled that guitar case out, come knocking on the door. That preacher come to the door, Brother Lance said, can I come in for a little while? He said, come on in, Brother Lance. Brother Lance went and sat on the, he went and sat on the couch in that preacher's, in that preacher's home, unhooked that, un, unlatched that guitar case, got that big 12 string out there, got to sit on that, on that couch just to strumming that 12 string. He, he played chords, I don't, I don't know where they come from. Man, it made it just sing. And old Brother Lance got to sing a little bit. And that preacher that was, he was there to sing was a, was a gifted, a gifted singer and a gifted preacher. And that preacher said, I didn't know if I'd ever sing again. And he said, after a little while, Brother Lance quit singing, hit a little chord. He said, hey, brother, he said, how's that one song go? And he hit a few chords. He said, sing me that first verse of it. And brother Lance got to picking that guitar and that preacher before he knew it was singing. Before he knew it, he's singing another one and singing another one. And singing another, he said, there I was sitting in that living room wondering if I'd ever sing again. And he said, all of a sudden, because of his own kindness. And Brother Lance, he said, I got to go. He put his guitar in the case and put it back in the van and went to his services and called him back in a couple of days. He said, brother, you home? He said, yeah, I'm home. He said, don't go anywhere. I'll be there in a few minutes. <laughs> brother Lance came back, knocked on the door. Didn't have his guitar case with him this time, but the preacher opened the door. Brother Lance had a white envelope. He said, here. He said, God told me to give you my love offering from this meeting. He said, Brother Lance, you can't do that. He said, you're going to have to take it up with God and shut the door and walk off. Yeah. There ain't nobody like Baptists that killing their own. But old Brother Lance Carver took a little time to show a little kindness and God has used that kindness and the kindness of others and the restoring grace of God 
to help that man of God back into the ministry and doing the will of God. I'm telling you, friend, there was a shipwreck that brought them. They got bit, but they didn't quit. I want you to notice the situation that burdened them. Look at verse 2. I want you to notice the adverse conditions because of the present rain and because of the cold. What's caused you to get cold? What, what's caused you to get a lack of church attendance, a lack of Bible reading, lack of prayer, lack of praise, a bitter spirit, somebody hurt you, disappointed you, or man, your own failures caused you just to want to throw up your hands and quit? What's caused you to get cold? We're not careful. We'll let our own Christian life become cold and indifferent and apathetic. What's caused you to get cold? What disappointment? What friend left? What family member walked off and left you? What difficulty came? What bit, uh, what the disappointment came? What criticism came your way? Did your children go back against God? Uh, did your husband leave? Did your wife leave? Uh, are you sick? What is it that caused you to get cold? Mm. Preaching to a lot of cold Christians. I told you the other night, don't know much about Methodists, don't know much about Catholics, but I spend every week of my life with Baptist people. And they some of them mighty cold. Hadn't always been that way. But something's tricky. When's the last time you choir members that sing in these choirs, when's the last time you got up there in a choir and God warmed your soul? When's the last time the man of God preached and that Bible just warmed your heart, melted your heart to tears and rejoicing? I'm cutting out a lot. I don't want to preach a long time and, and weary you. What's caused you to get cold? I want you to notice not only is there some adverse conditions, but I want you to notice verse number three, there's some advantageous counsel. The Bible said when Paul, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. There's 275 other men. Are you listening to me? Now one thing you need, I want you to, I want you to look at that verse too. The Bible said they showed them no little kindness and did what to a fire? What did it say? Kindled a fire. Now let me, you need to understand something. Kindled is not started. Kindled is when you stoke a fire, not start a fire. I want you to understand something. They didn't have to start their fire. It was already started. Amen. I got good news for you. The God of heaven does not require you to start your own fire, but you better believe he does require you to learn how to stoke your own fire. Amen. Are you listening? 275 other men floated onto that island as a result of the fact that that centurion did not want to kill Paul. So don't you think, Brother Stacy or Brother Tracy, that Paul could have said, hey boys, that fire's dwindling. 
run out there and get some wood and put it on this fire. And he could have looked at him and said, you know what? You'd be dead if it wasn't for me. You'd be drowned out there in that ocean if it wasn't for me. So run on out there and get some wood and put it on that fire. Is that what the Bible said it did? No, it looked like to me that the greatest preacher since Jesus Christ got up. And I noticed he's the only one that realized the fire was burning low. Our problem is some of us tonight, you, you're not even in, you've not come to the realization yet your fire is burning low. You think everything's okay. You don't, re, you don't realize that those goosebumps on your arm are because it's been a while since a fire burned in your soul. Paul got up and went and got that wood. Let me ask you something. Are you dependent on somebody else to go get your wood? To keep your, are you dependent on the preacher? Are you dependent on the choir leader? Are you dependent on the special singing? Are you dependent on your Sunday school teacher to go get your wood and put it on your fire? Or when are you going to get up and say, man, I'm not dependent on anybody else. I'm getting up to get my own wood, stoke my own fire, and warm my own soul. Amen. Man, if it wasn't for the preacher, man, listen, a lot of folks, they went there, fire never would burn. And we all at times need somebody to throw a stick on and just encourage us along the way. But if you're always dependent on somebody else, man, I don't want my faith to be in somebody else's hands other than the Lord. See, there's, there's three kind of folks in our churches. There's folks who start fires. There's folks who stir fires. And there's folks who stop fires. And if you're not one of the first two, you'll soon be one of the last ones. Let me ask something, is your, fly, is your, is your fire flaming? Is it flickering? Or has it just plain fizzled out? If Paul needed to get up and get his own wood, don't you think you and I do? Number three, storm that brought them, situation that burdened them. But in that verse, there was a snake that bit them. I believe with all my heart, Brother Tracy, when Paul picked that wood up, that viper was in that wood. Snakes don't hibernate. They brumate cold-blooded animals. And when it's cold, I remember several years ago, about a mile, we live on a farm up in the country, and about, a, about a half a mile from our house, my my wife's cousin was walking down the early, early April, late March, early April, walking down his basement steps, barefoot and stepped on the step, jumped back, and there's about a four and a half foot copperhead laying on, that, laying on that step. And all he could thank God for that it was early April. Because had that been July or August, he'd have been bit. Are you listening? But it was cold. It was it was addled, it was staggered. But listen to me. When Paul dropped that wood on that fire, that fire brought that snake alive. I hear people say, well, we ain't got no snakes at our place. Might be because you ain't got no fire at your place. 
It may be so cold around there the snakes won't crawl. Amen. I mean, I don't like I don't like having to fight the snakes, but I don't like at least I'm freezing to death when I go to church either. Amen. Are you listening? That fire that Paul needed, the fire that Paul stoked is the same fire that brought that viper alive. That viper came out of that, came out of that, out of that fire and latched onto his hand. If you know anything about snakes, those vipers, when they latch on, as long as they're latched on, they're pumping you full of venom. Here's the problem. Some of us would have to be honest tonight and say, I've been bit. But the problem is you've never chosen to shake it off. And the truth is you got bit and you got bit so long and you got bit so deep and it hurt so bad. That viper has become your identity. Instead of showing people the goodness of God, you say, have, have you seen my snake? Have you seen what, look how long that thing is that bit me. About five miles from our church several years ago, a man killed a 13-foot timber rattlesnake. About five miles from our church, been in his chicken coop. They said, don't know how many, how many years. A grown man, six-foot man, was standing in the picture like this right here with that, with that timber rattlesnake, 13 inches in girth, 13 feet in length. And he said when they, when they doubled that snake over, his head was touching the ground and his tail was touching the ground. Now, neighbor, I'm like Jerry Clower. <laughs> Only snake I like is one that's graveyard dead. My daddy said, son, we used to keep, we used to keep king snakes in the corn crib. I said, daddy, I ain't got a corn crib. Don't need a king snake. He said, well, if you'll just get close enough, you can see. I said, I don't plan to get close enough. I said, I don't plan to get any closer than a 12-gauge shotgun. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. Amen. But I've been around some Christians. And Brother Tracy, I've been around some preachers. You go to this camp meeting or this, and they say, hey, man, look at my snake. And instead of shaking it off, you have coddled it. And it's still latched on. Your arms swole. Circulation's bad. Your flesh will start to rot because of that poison, but you still won't shake it off. What bit you? What bit you that you're still carrying around? Matter of fact, if some of us would be honest, that snake has become our security blanket. Well, I can't teach because I got bit. I can't be faithful, preacher, because when I was, I got bit. I, I, I can't give because I got bit. I, I can't come on Wednesday night, Sunday night, because I got bit. Preacher, I, I, I can't go to special meetings. I can't sing in the choir. I, I can't rejoice. Look, don't you see my viper? What's bit you? Ma'am, you didn't get married to get divorced, but he left. 
got bit. Have you ever shook that off and let God help you? Sir, you didn't get married to get hurt. But another man caught her, stole her heart, and you got bit. Mom and Dad, you didn't raise them kids to go to the world, but they did. Preacher, you didn't preach them. You didn't preach to them people and weep over them people and pray over them people for them to stick a knife in your back and leave, and not just leave, but take people with them and tell untruths and. I never have understood why if they don't just want to leave, leave. You ain't got to make up something. And man, those ones that seem you love the most seem to cut you the deepest. And when that happened, or man, you took a stand and the deacons come after you or family comes after you and you got bit and now you can't, it's not the same. Baby, Maybe there's some youngins sitting here. I, I, I'm amazed, Brother Patricia, at, at camp. The kids that a lot of our kids come from broken homes. I remember one year we stood the kids up who, who at least had one parent not saved. 150 kids out of 500 kids stood up to their feet. Please pray for my, one of my parents. They're lost. And maybe, maybe, maybe young lady, young man, you had a mom and dad, and now mom and dad are split. And, for some reason, you think it's your fault. You've got bit. You're carrying your snake around, and it's it's produced a bad spirit. It's produced a rebellious spirit. It's re- produced a bitter spirit. What what's bit you? I don't have to name a hundred things because if you've been bit, what's bit you is running across your mind right now. Here's the kicker. Brother Dawkins, the same fire that brought that viper alive was going to be the same fire that destroyed it when Paul shook it off. Amen. The same fire that swarmed your soul and brought that viper to life, if you'll shake it off, that fire will destroy that viper in your life. Question is, are you ever going to decide to? I see both shed. Shake it off. Oh, yes. Well, if I, if I went around and looked at some hands, and I, if I could see spiritually, I might see some fang marks. But I just wonder if you've ever said, Lord, I'm tired of letting that viper be how I'm seen. I want to shake it off. And can I tell you, this meeting would be worth everything put in it, every song sang, every prayer prayed, if just one or two Christians would get to the place where they could shake that viper off. Some of you had to walk to a graveside with a loved one way too early and while you was out there in that graveyard a viper came out of that hole and bit you and you ain't never been the same vipers like cancer and heart attacks Alzheimer's 
failures of our own flesh. Mean people. God's people are the greatest people. But I've met a few meanings along the way. Y'all pray for me. I don't know how to, I don't know how to be but honest when I preach. God's people, that, listen, about everything we have, God's people has blessed us with and our church has taken care of us. And God, if my wife worked, but God gave her the job. Works at home. But I've met a few meanings along the way. Sometimes in meanings like to bite. And they'll leave their fame marks. But I'm not going to let the one or two meanings overshadow the, the one or two million good ones. You ever thought about just shaking it off? He said years ago, come on back to me. He said years ago, Texas. An old, old mule walked across one of them big one of them big Texas pastures. And unbeknownst to the mule, he walked over the he walked over an old abandoned well. That big old that big old mule fell down in that well, way deep, small, big, big enough for him to fall in there, but way deep. And that farmer came up on it and thought, man, what are we going to do? They called 911, tried to figure out what to do. And couldn't, the, the, the well was so unstable, they couldn't put anybody in there. It was so small, they couldn't put anybody in there. So they just decided they were going to have to euthanize that mule. But it was so deep in there, they just decided the way they were going to have to do it, they were going to bring big front-end loaders and dump, dump dirt down on that mule and just really have to bury him alive. So they loaded up that tractors with that dirt and started dumping that dirt on bucket by bucket on that mule and that pretty good sized mule and they dropped that first bucket on him, landed on his back and he shook it off, stomped them hooves down. Next tractor dumped the next load in there, landed on his back, he shook it off, stomped it down. And they just kept putting bucket in bucket in there and he just kept shaking it off and stomping it down. Next bucket, he shook it off and stomped it down. Shook it off and stomped it down until finally that mule walked off, walked off that all that dirt he had stomped down and walked out of that abandoned mule and made it. Your struggles, your disappointments, the world, the devil, the flesh, and sin want to bury you alive. But if some of us have learned just how to shake it off and stomp it down, there's no telling what God could do in our life. I, I've, told our, I've told our church, I said, God, help us. We, our church, like any other church, we've had kids leave. We've had families leave. And, and, and man, I tell them, I said, I tell you what I don't want to do. I said, we've raised them in the Holy Ghost church and old-fashioned singing, old-fashioned preaching of King James Bible. I said the last thing that I want them to see is somewhere down the road when they want to get right with God and they walk in the back door and the lights are off and there's a rock band up on the platform and a, and a, and a hippie for a preacher on the platform. I, I, don't, I don't want them to come back to that. I said if they go out, I want them to come back and I want us to be singing out of the same book. 
preaching the same Bible, worshiping the same way. I want them to know there is somewhere they can go back to that hasn't quit. That's what I'm saying to you. Sooner or later, if you serve God long enough, you're going to get bent. And listen to me. You can't you cannot keep people who are close to you from seeing you struggle. I've been the pastor of our church for 22 years, and I am OCD. I watch. I'm a people watcher. I watch their habits, and people people don't change their habits unless something has caused that change. And I can tell us how some of our ladies fix their hair on Sunday morning. If it's been a good morning or a bad morning. Sometimes you just want to say hey from the distance and you just walk on, praise God. I don't want to haul off and all that. I, I mean, amen. Y'all pray for me. And you can tell how some of the men care, come to men, come in there. You know it's been on from the house. I mean, some of them boys didn't know that her, their wife was so spiritual. She burnt the biscuits, offered up a burnt offering before they come to church. Some of them fellas thought they married a New Testament wife, but they done married one of them Old Testament under the law wives, three burnt offerings a day, praise God. <laughs> and I watch people. And if you're a member of the Canaan, uh, Calvary Baptist Church, you may not be able to keep your preacher from seeing you struggle. Y'all may not be able to keep your spouse from seeing you struggle. But I tell you what you can do. You can keep her from ever seeing you quit. They may see you struggle. But the kicker is, don't ever let them see you quit. Preacher, I got bit. But I didn't quit. We're standing. I wonder how many of us might slip around an altar and say, Lord, I want to shake it off. Or some of us might need to just come and say, Lord, I need to throw a stick on my fire. It's getting a little bit low. I want to get some, I want to get some wood. Miss Rachel's going to sing. Preacher, I got bit, but I don't want to quit. Would you come? I've been there in the lowest of times. I've had questions in my mind. I've been scared. I got bit. But I know but I didn't quit. that I have a Savior who knows right where I am and hears my prayer. In the midst of all the problems and burdens of this life, I will call upon the one who can get me through the night. Lord, hold my hand in the middle of my storm. When I'm sinking down, help me to stand. When the waves are crashing round, may I keep my eyes on you cause Lord you're the only one who can help 
Help me get. 